This is the Digital Kung Fu Show, episode 52. Digital Kung Fu is something you should see. Videos and podcasts reveal the digital key. Digital disruption is something you should know. Conquer it and you will soon see your business grow. Answer all the questions. See the road ahead. Know the market strategies. Become a thoroughbred. Know the state of technology. Share it with someone new. And suddenly you will conceive a different point of view. All because it took the time for digital kung fu. Hey guys, welcome back to the Digital Kung Fu Show. This is your host, Matt Brown. And today I am going to hopefully get tongues wagging. If you're working in the creative industry, that's advertising primarily. Today we're going to talk about the future of the industrial advertising complex. My guest today is Ryan Sawyer. He is the CEO of Punk media and they have recently i say recently in inverted commas here been acquired by king james they effectively are a digital media outfit and they buy uh, inventory for clients um at scale and they do a whole bunch of other cool stuff and this episode is very interesting because we kind of digress from the digital media space into a space which I am so passionate about and which I really do believe is ripe for disruption, and that is the future of advertising. And this is the first show post my Cliff Central partnership. So uh, it's very interesting because I'm actually in Ryan's office when we record this thing. Uh, It's awesome uh, for two reasons. One, Ryan is the fundamental experts on digital media in my view or at least one of the individuals who I would lump in that particular bucket and for the second reason is simply because Ryan loves getting into debates (laughs) as much as I do and we get into a huge debate about the future of advertising and the business models and the economic and market pressures that are currently being applied to the creative industry and so pay particular attention to this one part of the show where I share a little-known view, given my history with advertising, um, that I think will definitely get tongues wagging. So without further ado, enter Ryan Sawyer. Hello, guys, and welcome back to another cracking installment of the Digital Kung Fu Show. We are officially on the road, baby. Uh, What I mean by that is I've ended my partnership with Cliff Central uh, for business and brand reasons, and I'm officially taking the show on the road, literally. So I find myself sitting in the uh, office of Ryan, who is the CEO of Punk Media. Punk Media. So Ryan, why don't you fill us in on the headlines? What's your backstory? You've got a very interesting story to tell. Yeah, I guess. Uh, interesting. Um so as most people do in digital, they, they kind of fall into it. My background is um, actually human resource management, funnily enough. I um, was told to go study something at Varsity, ended up doing HR, uh, graduated, worked in it for a couple of weeks, couldn't stand the industry. Um, and then I became a sales rep for a, for a company uh, called WebSmart that I think is still around today doing fantastic work. And I was selling Google AdWords. I used to run around just to anyone who would see me going, do you want to be the top of Google? Do you want to be the top of Google? Um, that was just the, the beginning of it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, sold sold a lot of that as a sales rep on a commission structure. And then one day realized I could uh, open up some type of consulting business. I, I thought of it going more in a consulting route. So I started a business called SOC or Search Online Consulting or Search Oc because we were very confused in the market at the time. 
Um, and the main driver was to try consult to businesses on, on how to get themselves online. And this was in about 2009. Um, and the business, the business started off as a one man show, um, out of my, my parents, uh, study. And I used to get dressed up in a suit every day, regardless of the fact that I had no clients. Um, and I just was like, you know, that whole, you got to fake it till you make it, perceive it to believe it, all those, all those philosophies. And, uh, just uh, started cold calling people and got a lot of FUs and a, a lot of other things. <laughs> um, but over time, we, we just slowly started to acquire clients and uh, grew the business and we were everything. We were anything anyone wanted, we would do. If you wanted AdWords, email, SMS, the website, like we would do anything, anything anyone wanted. And as time went on, we, we culled down the services to the things that we, we felt we were really good at. Yeah. Um, and then in 2015 in December, um, through a fantastic business coach. Um, he, he knew someone else that was looking to acquire a business of my size and, and, and our skill set. And, uh, we sold to the King James group. Um, they did an acquisition of a uh, part of the business. So it's not a full acquisition. I still own equity in the company. Um, and we've been growing massively ever since through, through the group and their, their clients. Is this the mutual friend of ours with the three L's? Yeah. Can we say his name? Are we allowed to give shameless puns? <sighs> So we, I keep talking about him for some reason. It's Philly. He's he's, he's mostly well connected. He he knows a few people. Yeah, he does. He's he's not as connected as me though. I don't think. No, no. Yeah, no, 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 no. not saying really. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, um, I love the the fact the point that you made there rather that um, you started in was that your parents' garage? No, it was, it was in like a really small study. With you should a, just say garage. I should say garage because it, it sounds, sounds much better. more grungy. It and sounds like a bit of Elon Musk in there. Uh, and Microsoft, and yeah. yeah. No, it, it was a study with, with a carpet and, okay. and, and bedroom cupboards and no bed. All right. Yeah, so I'd wake up at 6 a.m., put on a suit and leave my bedroom and walk across the hall into the study and that was my office. So um, how old is the company now? So from 2009, it's, uh, it's this is its eighth year. So eighth September year. 2009 and, and September 2017 will be eight years. And how have you seen digital media change? I mean, uh, you know, anything that's digital and technology led goes through these kind of exponential advances. So, I mean, has it been the same for you? Yeah, some of the some of the major things that we experienced were, you know, obviously social was in in play already. Um, and I think mobiles changed dramatically as, as everyone's saying and knows and, you know, to the, to the smartphone revolution. And then obviously SEO is a, is a big one for us. There was the, the old school SEO philosophy of we'll put you in the first organic position on Google for the word dog, um, or insurance. And, uh, I think the space has changed a fortune in, in, in how those algorithms work. And so we've had to advance a lot and not sell the same thing that, that, that some agencies are still doing, unfortunately. Yeah. What makes you, special when you talk about punk media because it seems if i'm honest like i understand that space not as well as you obviously otherwise i wouldn't be here (laughs) but um but i do find that any i think the industry is commoditized in many respects like you know if you can individuals can buy ads on facebook you know there's programmatic which you use systems like telmar and then there's brent tolman with meme it just seems to me like everyone's trying to do the same thing Mm. Uh, what what is your kind of take on that? Uh, firstly, the the barriers to entry in in many of these cases are very low. So if you if you if you segment it up into the social media, um, there's there's the com management side, there's social media advertising, there's uh, search advertising, there's programmatic, there's display bars. Um, the barriers to entry are very low. 
So, you know, with no formal regulation in the industry from an education perspective, no one has to go and do articles for two years to become a, you know, Google AdWords person. Um, obviously, there are exams you can pass through the Google infrastructure. But in general, the barriers, if you have a, a MacBook and a cup of Vita coffee, you're like, you know, you're a digital marketer. It's, it's that simple. That's how I started. <laughs> so, and didn't we all? Um, <laughs> so I think, and, and like, you, first of all, it's, it's, there's a saturation point. So everyone's selling the same version of something uh, in many cases. Uh, some people are doing, you know, the, the full array of we're a full service digital marketing agency. Then you get the guys who say that they're specialists and then they're specialist media buyers or they're special, specialist media planners. Um, there's integrated. so many different... Sorry? In- integrated. Yeah, yeah, integrated marketing communications and mm. they're, they're a fully integrated agency. And, um, I, you know, it's I guess the proof is in, in what they deliver and how well their creative speaks to their media uh, in the space, how well their audience segmentation is. But And then there's all the benchmarks. So you've got... And I think that the guys just try to beat the benchmark. So you get a 1.25% click-through rate and you're beating the average or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of the guys in the space are are, are selling the same version of something uh, packaged slightly differently. Where the big differentiator, I think, is coming <clears throat> in, in our space now is the guys that are creating the technology pieces. So if they have a, a proprietary tool or a white-label tool that can that they can sell in, it's no longer about just the service of what they do. It's about the, the tech or the, the intelligence around that. Um, and how that's, you know, uh, digitized, um, through lead generation and CRMs and stuff. And a lot of the big agencies are picking up these pieces of tech to differentiate themselves with a, a piece of software that really differentiates them from the average guy just, you know, planning, buying, doing the usual stuff. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Yeah, I've seen that as well. I think it's interesting for me when we talk about tech because um, it's for me at least it's the application of the tech that's so important, not just the tech. So a piece of technology or a system can get you insights or perhaps like an aggregated dashboard for analytics, for your media and so forth and maybe any other data sets. But looking at the data, I'm scenario planning here. So looking at the data, you need someone with a person with the appropriate ability to be able to garner sufficient insights to go back to the client and go, you know, this is actually what you should be doing in terms of your media spend. So I 100% agree with you. And I think it's a, I'm seeing a lot of uh, agencies in their, in their, um, on their websites where they're requesting different uh, applicants. One of the things they're asking for now these days 
is for someone who's a you know data digital data analyst specialist or a digital UX um, you know data cruncher. I don't even know what the the proper titles are for for some of these roles yet, but they're taking guys that have got actuarial backgrounds, uh, management consulting backgrounds, and they're trying to plug these guys into into their data sets from analytics, AdWords, CRM, ORM, and they're trying to really garner a much deeper level of insight than they've had before. Mm. Um, and that's something that I think is is going to continue to change. It's almost going to be a, a very, very crucial role in any media or digital business is not only how you, what data you get, but how you interpret that data and in a meaningful, intelligent way using all the other factors that are, are probably at play, not just the budget or the click-through rate. It's not enough. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of um, talking about technology and um, the automated, or auto, automated side of tech, I guess, um, is that a lot of uh, inventory buying is actually being automated. Like the CPM lookalikes, for instance, that says, well, if ad set A is you know performing very well on this type of media platform, we'll then duplicate that and it literally automatically adjust spend, you know what I mean, to get the better return. I mean, how to what you know, we talk about people and the application of tech. I mean, what's your view? Like, at what point is everything going to get 80% automated when it comes to ad buying? Because interestingly, the stock market's heading that direction, yeah. So, with the you know, you got your like investment bots and it's all around the AR side, yeah. Um, Google's launching its own algorithms and allowing for even in the Google AdWords channel, they're now building a a functionality which is coming very soon that will auto-create and place ads based on performance. So then the question is, and that's that's for the small guys that want to spend a couple of grand but don't have the money for an agency to, you know, build ad copy. And I mean, they're even doing it in the display space within the Google space. They you can you can upload a bunch of images and it will auto-format those images uh, for display advertising to the most optimum levels. Um, and then you've got the programmatic side, right? So you're and uh, there's a lot of you know, one of the problems I have with programmatic is not that it doesn't work. It's that um, when you've got your demand side platforms and your trading desks and your SSPs and all these terms that people are throwing around, um, people are driving down the cost because they're trying to get the the very minimum uh, cost per thousand impressions that they possibly can. And you're just buying junk inventory. Um, and it's, it's happening a lot. And I'm sure you've read some of the articles around, uh, you know, fake fake placements uh fake data reports lots of bots so we 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 do programmatic in our business um and it is for us very much an awareness driver for clients but when you want performance performance media when you're talking about lead generation engagement sales um we prefer to place the stuff on channels where we we can actually measure that a little bit closer um but even that is a concern these days so you know, we can talk about the transparency in the industry, and the the, the the starting point is the transparency of the actual media placement, such as Facebook. So, Facebook has reported in the last eight months about seven metrics that they are they are telling us that they were reporting falsely on. So, eighty percent of all video views on Facebook adverts up until I think it was October two thousand and sixteen um, were were falsely reported. They as, told us that, as in grossly incorrect, or. As in grossly incorrect. They said they had video view rates of X. When they actually recalibrated their systems or whatever looked into it, they realized that 80% of the results that they were reporting were actually false and the, the view times were two seconds and they were reporting that it was a 30-second view rate. And they're, they're openly saying this stuff now. 
Fuck. Um, so that, you've got the platform side, which is which has got its own uh, issues, and there's no transparency. There's no third party measurement. Then you've also got the agency side, mm. and then how transparent are they being? And if both sides aren't transparent, I mean, how much of the client's money is actually being spent on performance media or getting in front of eyeballs? Mm. And I think that's the big concern. And and the programmatic space, um, unless it's governed by third party reporting tools that are not owned by the programmatic buyers, because then that makes no sense, right? I think the space is is very murky in general. Um, and if if anyone hasn't seen the PNG talk that's going around YouTube, um, being watched a trillion times, I mean, pretty much the marketing director of PNG calls the entire industry out, and he says it's it's time you grow up. Really, didn't you share that on Facebook recently? Was it you that shared it? Or was it the spinny? world shared it? Yeah, um, it's, I saw it's that. Becoming, it's and they're saying he's like he's leading a crusade. He's yeah. he's saying what everyone's thinking. He said it in a. And he's saying that if you want to work with them in the future, if anyone wants to work with the largest me- digital media buyer in the world, mm. you better wake up and have transparency in your, in your numbers or they won't work with you. Let's talk about click arbitrage. Ah, oh, click arbitrage. Um, so, What is it? Let, okay, let's, so, let's give our listeners some context because they probably won't know what okay. we're talking about. So. So, so, so to go back a few steps, what's happening at the moment is media agencies are being crushed on on. On um on where they make their management fees, right? Um, and often you're you're up against procurement long before you're in a room with uh, the marketing manager showing how brilliant your offering is and your service delivery, and your skill set. So if and, and if procurement's making the decision, they're looking at numbers. So if you have a media spend of a million rand, and one agency says they've got a four percent management fee, and another agency says they have a sixteen or twenty percent management fee. Well, it's very simple for procurement. You go with the guy with the, slow, the, the the lower management fee where you get the maximum media spend. Like what discount can you give me? Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. So so if you're only taking a 4%, well, then I only have to pay you, you know, like a, a, a much smaller amount, 40 grand for your management as opposed to 200,000. Mm. Why would I pay anyone 200,000 when I can pay 40? And then my media goes further. But obviously these guys wouldn't run an agency at a 4% management margin because you get a better return on an Investec account. Um, <laughs> you know, it's 7.8%. So that's not really starting to make business sense. And the, the question is, where are they making their money? Um, and one of the ways they do it is through arbitrage. So if I'm working with you and you're the marketing manager and I tell you I'll get it for you at four and a click and you agree that that's a fantastic cost per click number in your industry, and then I go out and, you know, through different methods, um, either, you know, just not having the best placement, but I get it at two rand 20. I just pocket the other one rand 80 because we agreed at four rand a click. Um, and, um, and arbitrage is ultimately, I mean, that's a, that's a, there's, there's many, there's other ways of doing arbitrage, but the simplest way is putting a premium on the original value of a click. It's like price stacking in the old days. Yeah. Uh, there are, like I say, there are other ways of doing it. You arbitrage. Um, over an entire campaign, never mind a keyword or an ad set, and then you buy some discounted and some premium, but then you make your money on the swings and the roundabouts in essence. Mm. Um, the bottom line is that it's it's not entirely transparent. Um, some people say that it's not illegal. Uh, marketing managers will say it's unethical. So I guess it depends how you look at it, but these guys do have to make money somewhere. And and the question is, do you do it tra- in, with a transparent model where the guy sees what you're making, or do you try build it into the costs as you go. Mm. Um, let, can we detour and talk about the acquisition by King, King James? Sure, yeah. King um, James. 
group. Yeah, King James group. Yeah, mighty King James. What? What? How did they sniff you out? Like, what got their uh, got their attention? Was it the fact that you clearly know what you're talking about and you're able to deliver great returns for your clients, or was it more a case of spilly getting in the way, or was it a case <laughs> of calamity in action, or? So I think it's one of those classic situations of it's more about who you know than uh, than what you know. Um, and I think it's also that law of attraction. So I did put it out into the world and obviously to my business coach, um, that acquisition was something I wanted. Um, the way I d- made the decision, first of all, was I, I felt that th- there was, it was during that huge buying frenzy when there was a lot of blood in the water. So agencies were buying agencies. It was, you know, it was, a, it was like a feeding frenzy. Everyone was selling. Everyone was being acquired at 10, 10 yeah. PE ratios. And it was an amazing time to sell. Yeah. Basically, if you had a digital agency, you were going to make money. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. And you could just put a ridiculous value on it. That's not quite what happened to me, by the way. But congratulations. Um, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> you, you've done well. Um, so the, the decision I, I wanted to sell, I realized that there was a, a door that was closing and I would rather be through it and own, you know, 49% of a, of a large cake than a hundred percent of a cupcake was, <laughs> was, was the basic, was the basic philosophy there. Um, and I also wanted to scale fast because I, I, I did see the saturation in the market. Um, and, and, and the agencies coming in that were very quickly catching up to my, my my level and my revenues and my service offerings. So I wanted to to catapult myself and and, and kind of like catalyze my business very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so through the acquisition, I, I then had access to the King James client base, and they were just buying media through third parties, and they realized that they could put it through the group, but they wanted a a compelling value proposition, and that's our transparency model. Um, so I, I decided to sell, but it wasn't that usual massive. Uh, 12 month them versus us 70 lawyers in a room you know reams and reams of contracts it it was a beautiful process um i want to probably the only guy i know that would actually describe his exit like that it was it was a beautiful process um just getting along with the people um you know people not trying to screw each other no one was i mean we just came up with the number um looked at the financials realized that the number was was a fair number for both of us that the you know, the growth was there for, they had an upside, I had an upside and they've left it owner managed, but uh, I love the support and I love the structure and I love the advice. Um, and it's really has been really, really fantastic. Um, being, being a, being a big fish in a small pond and thinking you're, you're good at what you know and then kind of reframing it to realizing that you're a tiny tadpole in a massive ocean. Mm. Um, it's been really interesting. Uh, it's interesting. I was talking to another guy who's <clears throat> an entrepreneur and he's an independent agency. Um, and we were talking about basically exits and how he's in a situation where he's one of the last remaining good independent agencies out there. And all those things that you just said to me about, you know, notice other competitors coming into the market you know, the inability to scale because, you know, there's only so many clients you can go through. Your network is only so big. And I've, I gave him a piece of advice. I'm not going to say what it was because <laughs> it might ruin his whole strategy. But um, so when you look at your acquisition and, and you know, take this chap, for instance, let's call him Simon. It's not Simon Dingle. He's cool. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Come up with a very, very um, random name that would never be anyone. Yeah, Joe, Joe, Joe. Let's go with Joe. So what advice would you give Joe in that scenario? 
about exiting? Like, should should you should you you know, I don't know. What what what's your advice there? So so you use the word exit, uh, which is interesting because my my strategy wasn't to to exit. My strategy was to be acquired, put into a much safer space. So it's nice when you're part of a big group and you're having minor cash flow issues, and the the group can assist in a, in, in you know in the short term. Um, it's nice to have the legal advice, the HR, the, so I never planned, well, definitely on the short term, I don't plan on exiting. I plan on, on, on growing. Um, and I, I knew I just needed the support to do so. Um, so for me, it wasn't an exit strategy. It was a growth strategy. Um, and again, our, our, con- our deal was very simple. So there was no, uh, clawbacks and, you know, all these, these things you hear about, these, these things that can often, uh, really make the deals quite quite sour quite quickly, but um, yeah, I guess my my advice would be make sure that you fit with the people, make sure that you understand what the strategy is after acquisition. So it's all nice talking about the money and the numbers and the due diligence. The question is, what are we going to do once this happens? And show me that vision and that path, and I have to buy into it. And where do I fit in it? Um, and then what is the five year plan? What is the ten year plan? And uh, that was made um, clear clear enough for me during the acquisition process to know that once I was acquired, I knew what they wanted to happen with this business and how we were going to scale and grow um, and what that vision is. And I'm still the leader that gets to – I'm still the manager and the MD that gets to execute on that on a daily basis. So I'm fulfilled in my role to still be owner-managed so I'm not, you know, str- and, and, we, and, you know, King James is also one of the two or three large independents left in South Africa, not owned by WPP or anyone, right? Mm. So in saying that, there's a there's still a very much an entrepreneurial spirit, and that was a very important thing in the acquisition for me. So it's fit of people, it's fit of business culture and structure, um, and it's having a clear vision of where you're going to go and, and how you're all going to make money and, and do great work. That's it for me. Um, yeah, so I want to pick up on this term entrepreneurial spirit, and it's uh, a term that um, I've come across quite a lot in corporate cultures and environments and that kind of thing. What does it actually mean? Like, I know there's, I mean, because entrepreneur is a definition in the, in the dictionary as the spirit, but when you put those two things together, what does it mean? Like, what does it actually mean for you? I've always, you know, first of all, it's spelled really difficultly, I and mean, it's a really difficult word to spell. Um, but for me, you know, I used to think it was the definition of starting a some type of um, going concern that has some type of uh, financial, well, has some type of like you know financial goal, or and 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 driving that vision that you of what you want to achieve. And initially, to me, it was that that thing had to be proprietary. You had to you had to start a business that was that had a proprietary purpose in the world, and I thought it had to be a new thing, a new product, a new. Uh, an entirely different way of doing things, but I've, I get well for me what has what has come to mean is just doing things in a better way than you think anyone else is. So your value proposition, your USP, or those types of things for me can be the definition of what an entrepreneurial business is. I mean, you can go by the classic definition, um, and you know, entrepreneurs by necessity and entrepreneurs by choice. Um, I was a mixture of both. Um, but uh, for me, what it really means is is finding an angle that doesn't have to be an entirely new product or service and just executing on that mandate exceptionally well. And you can do it in a niche that's existed for 20 years. 
I mean, I know of businesses that have entered markets that are well established and have not. And then everyone has to disrupt. I don't know why people have to disrupt. Hey, I, I make disruption happen. Just, okay, so we'll go with that. So I'm not going to then go and smash your disruption dream. Um, but I, I think that, you know, everyone, everyone wants to be an Uber and everyone wants to be an Airbnb in one way or another, right? And, and sometimes you don't just have to, you don't have to do this massive disruption. You just have to deliver better than anyone else around you. And that's enough to be entrepreneurial, I guess. That's such a great answer. Because um, oftentimes people can't describe what, you know, they put these labels on culture, for instance. There's another CEO of an agency um, who I know quite well, and he talks about tribes. You know, we have a tribe for this and a tribe for that and a tribe for that. And I'm like, okay, but what does that actually mean? Do you know what I mean? It's like, what's well, a group of, so you're talking about a department. No, 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 it's not a department, it's a tribe. Okay, but then what do you mean if it's not a department or a tribe? Structuring people into Do they share the same groups. beliefs? Like, what, what's, do you know what I'm saying? And then suddenly it becomes very gray. So it's interesting for me that you've gone through this exit. You've joined King James, which is, um, the well, you said it was one of the remaining independent agencies, good ones, big ones. Um, and I want to talk to you about why that still is the case. Um, but, you know, I, I know a lot of guys that have sold, you know, part of a growth strategy or an exit strategy or whatever you want to call it. And the cultural thing is an issue because um, you find, especially when you start to scale, like, mm. so for instance, then your culture has to change because you have to hire heads of departments. So you might have a head of analytics, which you don't potentially have now. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So as you hire these people in, you find that you've, because you've had a startup culture, you've now blended that with King James, which is obviously a far bigger uh, animal. And so I, I guess what you're saying is that, um, I, I love I love the con conversation around culture, and it's not something you can put your finger on, and it's not something you can you can measure with the with the Nielsen scorecard. Um, and for me, that was a big change. So, first of all, a mindset change for me is just realizing you're just playing in a different league, um, and that that's you know it can be very disconcerting, it can be very difficult, it could also be very motivating, and it's also motivating or disconcerting for your staff. So, culturally, what happens in a business is that you are the keep your culture and it takes on a flavor within the group you lose your culture and you adopt the culture of the organization that you've been acquired by to an extent um in this case um we still i mean we also slot at the moment in separate buildings until we move into our new offices but um you know we, we've maintained our culture and all that we've done is we've used the acquisition to drive excellence so our culture is one of we are the new kids on the block. We are all young. We are all, many of my staff are millennials. And let's let's earn respect. Let's not expect it because we were required. Obviously, there was reasons why we were required and there's things in our business that make us attractive. But take the mindset of be humble. Um, and, and that was part of our cultural change is we're not, we're not the best. We're not the greatest. We be humble and earn the respect in the group because the King James group does incredible work and has amazing respect. Um, and, and you know, the, the heads, Alistair, Alistair King and James Barty are, are very well respected in the entire industry, mm. uh, for the work that they've done. So we can't rock up here and think that we're the shit. Um, we, we have to earn that. And that's something that's been instilled in the team is that you're not the greatest, you're not the best. We're, we're the, we're the small fish and let's, let's earn that reputation in part of, as part of the group. So that's our cultural change. Um, but the group has a, a similar culture of have fun, work hard, do great work. You know, they've actually got a mantra on the wall, like don't, you know, bend over backwards, never forwards. Those are like some of the things that are literally 
in the group's mantra. I'd hope so. Bending over, over forwards would be a bit, you know, <laughs> yeah, risque. So, and this is, this is exactly what they're trying to say. Like, you know, don't, don't let clients dictate and make you do crap work. Like, you work with your clients and, and not just for your clients. It's, 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 a, it's a beautiful mantra that was written up by Alistair and James and has been adopted in Joburg under King James II as well. And we, we align to all of that. So, and it's all wholesome, wonderful things to believe in, you know? Mm. Um, so we don't feel our culture's changed much. We've just enhanced it to, to fit within the group and strive. Why is, hasn't a big network picked up King James? So I've only been with the group for a year and two months. Um, and I haven't really asked the question. I'm just kind of going with the flow that, uh, first of all, I think that you, you win a lot of business when you're not part of a big group. And at times it can be very restrictive when you are. Um, there've been some acquisitions where businesses that had massive clients had to cull those clients just because they were from publicists first, you know, whoever. Um, and they had to let go of those clients just because of those, those affinities and, and those relationships between the, the big, the big global structures. I think it leaves you nimble. I think uh, you can you you can move and and not have to to worry about all these reporting lines and 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 ways of working and and structures. But I'm I'm not sure why they haven't been acquired. I don't know if it's that they don't want to. Um, haven't really had the conversation yet. I guess I'm happy about it. I'm I'm enjoying the I'm <laughs> enjoying the independent. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I was um, talking to the same guy, Joe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, about how I, I I just don't think that there are going to be many. I think the great agency call has happened. They it's got, done. It's done. And the ones that are out there at the moment that are still independent, um, like Joe's, uh, I think they're going to be out there in the cold. And for me, it's like, well, there's no more space left in the big networks like WPP mm. and Publicis. So unless you're building like an AI super innovative specialist division, there isn't any like King James isn't going to buy another media agency. Neither is WPP, neither is um, TBWA, neither is uh, Publicis. You know, so so those independents that are sitting out there at the moment, like they're not they're not going to have many other choices, right? They're either going to go out of business and have to retrench a lot of people, or completely pivot what they do fundamentally as a business in order to survive. So just my two cents here is I actually think that you're only going to have networks left. Wow. Um, so uh, I wish Alistair was here because I think he has a, a very a very clear set of thoughts and I won't talk for him, but I'll, I'll talk for me. Um, I, I think that there is a huge market of people that don't want to be in those structures with those with those set fees and those set methodologies Um with 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 the same systems being put in place globally and then funneled down, um, I think people want innovation. I think people want creativity. Um, I think they look for they look for 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 the niche speciality and that the person they're dealing with is still a human in some cases, uh, and not a massive lumbering organization. Uh, and I think the the agility that is offered from the independence is is a huge drive. Um, we're seeing trends of of large corporates going out to pitch at the moment through either through pitching agencies or direct, and they're purposefully asking for smaller agencies. The guys that are globally aligned have to follow the global structures, right? So if you're a MTN, a MTN or you're a Siemens or you're a mm. you know whoever, you, you've got a global structure that you speak to, and and yes, there's very very little room to to get into those spaces, but then there's millions millions of, of South African based companies that 
that are looking for a partner then and doesn't want to go into a structure like that where they're a small fry in a in a massive organization as opposed to being a anchor key client house and they and they feel the service and they feel the delivery and i think so i think there definitely is a place i really i believe that if anything more guys will break away and start their own things because they just don't want to be part of these organizations and a lot of guys maybe even like you um <laughs> you know there's there's always there's always room in this the the, the past so big there's so much out there i don't think it's just going to be these these massive behemoths listen in a media buying space it's different um these guys have huge buying power but sometimes their cookie-cutter approaches to how they buy their media and their rebates and discounts don't fit all all potential clients. Mm. So there's still always room, I believe. I just don't think the traditional agency model can work. Even if you're a small, you can't, you, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a time limit on what you can do if you're selling time and hours and a marketing communications level. I just don't think, I mean, because what are your options? Because, you know, because it's super competitive in there. I'm talking about a sustainable business proposition, not just the fact that they exist. So are you, are you talking about the creative elements? Or are you talking about yeah. the agency concept as a whole? As like a whole. Having is, people is, sit in a place and get paid on an hourly rate to deliver work for a client. Yeah, is, is I think the whole model? agency model is broken. And it's only a matter of time because this is why I'm saying that global networks will be the only ones that will exist because they're globally mandated and they get the big budgets of big brands to support them in their broken model. But on top of that, <laughs> they're being squeezed at a margin level all the time. Every year it's, well, hang on, can you give us some, a bigger discount than you did the year before? But their cost structures are going up. Yeah, because well, of the people. Yeah. I mean, people, are your, people are your commodity and people are your, are your business. Right? So I'm not saying that there will never be examples of, to your point, like, you know, I agree with you, but I'm saying what they will do will be significantly different to what you'll get at a big network. Well, what will happen if so to 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 take it to the, to another level? What will happen if agencies don't exist? Where will people do their? I mean, from a creative execution, media buying, reporting, uh, brand touch, brand awareness, brand engagement, brand conversion, um, you know, share of voice, share of mind. Where is all of that? Where what is is that going to happen? Who's going to do that job for brands and businesses if it's not an agency? Who's who's got that know-how? And I, I can I, everyone's can like, I, I'm going to bring it in house. I've got a thought about that. Yeah, the brands will do it themselves. Why will you do? Why and this is, I'm like, you, it's just a debate now, right? Yeah, so no, this like, is great. And I don't, it's, uh, so I this is this. cool. Yeah. So, and by the way, guys, I'm happy to be wrong. So, if you think I'm talking shit, then please email me or tweet me or something. So, I'm all I'm all down with that. And if you think I'm being wrong, email or tweet. No, me no, no, no. Just email me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want any of that negativity in my yeah. inbox. It can go to you. So, so I, like I said just now, like I, th I think the culls come and it's gone in many respects. And there's some outliers out there who are battling to survive. They're retrenching people. Left, right, and center. Yeah. And it's, and it's not a sustainable environment for them to continue selling time and hours and advertising slash marketing Indeed. solutions. Yeah. Let's yeah. go back to the big networks. Okay. So that if those contracts were ever out or at a position where – um, ah, let me rephrase this. I think that brands will get to a point where they don't want to deal with big networks. To your point, you mentioned 360 integrated, all that stuff. Uh, that's bullshit. Like, I really think that's bullshit. Like, I've worked in those big networks before, and they're not integrated, bro. How do you integrate 12 businesses to deliver a single campaign? 
It's okay. a mess. It's the same as doing it 12 different times, only you're sold on the idea that it's one global network and we can flip the switch across 32 markets, you know, because you're a big brand and we want your money. It's bullshit. And I think that okay. clients are going to wake up and they're going to go, well, actually, where is what, what did big brands pay creative agencies for? Creativity. And the link to creative creativity to business performance is a, a proven one. It's scientific, right? But a big, I, I just in my heart, I really do believe that creativity is not being delivered in the same way and to the same extent and power that the big, uh, or that they used to, like the the ad men, like the, those kinds of traditional mm -hmm. advertising. The, I just think that the world's changed and the. Um, the ability to, to execute creativity has suddenly become disrupted because it's so much harder to do it on 20 channels than it is just through a TV ad. And clients are going, well, actually, I'm not getting the creativity that I was hoping from you, Mr. Ad, ad Agency. And actually, if I'm not getting that, then, by the way, why can't Red Bull create their own agency? They already, they already have. Yeah, they're not and, a, they're not a yeah, and an I, energy drink. They're a marketing company. Yeah, they're a marketing company. And they're a content marketing company. Yeah. They're better at content, digital content marketing than any other agency in the world. And I just think that corporates, big brands are going to start bringing competencies in-house. So, sure, there was, a, there was a lot of things you said then. And to, to talk to some of them, you talk about integration, right? Mm. Um, you will never integrate, like you say, when there are 12 agencies sitting under one roof and one's... One wants the media budget and one wants the PR budget and one wants the – where it starts to change is where those teams get merged into one space and one environment. So you don't have a digital strategist and a PR strategist and a brand strategist and a creative strategist and an ECD. and a. What you do is you put all the strategists in one pod. It doesn't matter if they're doing the media or whatever it may be. You put all the um, client service people in one space. You put all the creatives in one space. It doesn't matter if they're doing above the line, below the line, digital executions, UX. It can all sit in one space. And I think that is when integration really starts to happen, when there is no business silo, where there is no um, – it now goes by skill. And skill is not by channel. Skill is by ability to deliver. I think that's when integration really starts to happen. So King James is doing that. They took the upstairs space, which had, you know, society, which was social and, and uh, punk, which was dev. And they just kind of mixed the whole floor up and put people into, you know, traffic, client service, et cetera, et cetera. And it didn't matter what business you were in. And I think that's when the integration really happens. Um, and I mean, having an integration manager. So have someone whose job it is, is to build integrated executions, um, an, in, an, an integrated creative. So I think it can be done. I agree. I don't think it's being done very well. I think everyone's saying it and no one's doing it. Um, everyone's thinking it and everyone's charging for it. Um, you know? Um, but everyone's going like, why do I need five account directors on this job? I need one, in essence, that just knows the whole, the whole value chain, in essence. So I think integration is possible, right? I hear you. Um, going back to that, they're going to bring it in-house. So you're gonna you're almost saying there's gonna be mini agencies in these businesses. Is is yeah. I'm gonna have a floor of marketing that is not just the marketing manager and the seventeen people that think around print and etc. They're actually gonna have the creative execution, the well, the creative strategy, the creative execution, and then all the media and management and stuff in, in house. Yeah. That's my prediction. Predictions are often loadable shits and oftentimes wrong. But that's what I mean, that's where I think the the market's going. That's what I'm saying. They're going to buy specialist competencies because why can't big brands do the marketing themselves? 
because, because they don't have the people and they don't have the skills. But you and take, they don't have the ability to scale onto multiple clients with the same resource. And that's where it becomes potentially in many cases. So, so we talk about the selling time. I agree with you that that model is is not sustainable, but it's a great way to, to price a business and structure it. So I have resources, they have a billable rates, and I know that if I book them out 100% on a job, I need another resource. It's a great way to manage a scalable business. I don't think that the pricing model is the most sustainable in the long term, but the whole industry has to turn that on its head eventually. I, I think the, the, the attribute one would need to look for here is the – is agility basically because big brands are not agile and we to your point people say you know disruption this disruption that and yes it's it's overtraded and yes it's hijacked by consultants and all those things are true but if big brands are going to be agile they have to fundamentally change everything that they do and i'm saying that you see this already in the startup space fintech space health tech space all of these big corporates are engaging with startups to solve those problems for them. But they're not sitting outside. They're buying specific technology and bringing that into the business permanently, inside the business, not outside. We're going to pay you to service us. And I think that to your, we're talking about technology and, and how the media sites change and all that kind of stuff. Um, I really do think that it, there's a very strong possibility that brands are just going to go, fuck it, we're not going to pay uh, 10, 20, 30 million rand as a cost but we're going to bring that cost in-house and we're going to do it ourselves in order to be more agile, to be more innovative, to work with better data. Because I've been saying for years, the agencies are on the wrong side of the fence in many respects. Data, working with the business analysts, the actuaries in the bank, and understanding what exactly are the innovations that are coming out and then be able to put out communications quickly. Not throw a brief and four weeks later, you still don't have a creative response or communication strategy to review. And that's the reality that I see. So I think there's one of the things that we, we, we should talk about is the, the way the management consulting space or is, is disrupting. They shouldn't live. They, <laughs> they should not be allowed to survive. Um, the way that they're disrupting agency, agency life. So, um, I mean, these guys have part of the value chain from product innovation and, and you know, brand, brand management, whatever it is from, you know, your Deloitte's and your Bain's, et cetera. But they're starting to want to own the entire value chain all the way through to 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 creative media buying, execution, and reporting. Um, there's that all sits out your business, but has a has a deep understanding of how your business operates, right? Um, there's softwares that do things that are similar, like Salesforce. Um, but where where I fundi- fundamentally disagree with you is, you would need to build an entire agency inside a business, manage the resources, structure it so that it's financially viable build some type of delivery for that. I mean, it's almost its own business, right? And yeah. and, and some businesses have done it, but I, I don't see, it's not their speciality. It's not their core focus. You don't have a, you know, you don't have an investment bank running a, a marketing agency, not a, not a marketing division of marketing manager. I'm talking about a marketing agency because it's not their core competence. It's the same thing though. Marketing agency or marketing department or marketing competency capability, it's one thing. So they all, but think about it. If you brought that 30 million into that as department. A sunk, yeah. As a sunk overhead as opposed to as a variable cost. Yeah, but you're so incent- one's a cost center and one's an overhead, right? Yeah, but you're incentivized. So take that 30 million in, it's a cost saving, right? You then reinvest that 30 million fundamentally upskill and change, or fundamentally change the the competency of that department, right? Right. And then you're incentivized based on exactly the same incentive schemes as agencies, targets. 
you sell X amount of products or sell X amount of leads or build brand notoriety or whatever the case is, then you get refunded. So you're an investment bank and you're trying to to manage your your talent war for your investment bank and now you're going to go and manage a talent war uh, on a on a, on an agency side from knowledge experience I, I, again i hear what you're saying and I, I can see that it can be a financially viable solution i just don't know businesses who want to diversify their core offering into a marketing business not a marketing department it for me it just doesn't make sense i mean uh, so I'm not going to, you know, I could save money and not have to pay an auditor. Why don't I start an auditing business, an auditing division, bring higher auditors in-house because I pay a fortune in auditing fees every year because we have to be audited as a business. Um, I'll just hire an auditor and start my own auditing business and incentivize him on, <laughs> on audit. That's not what I do. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into auditing. I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of the way I look at it, but I think maybe I'm just being yeah. uh, cool. obstinate here. I'm so glad you disagree there. That's so rad. <laughs> I wasn't just going to go, no, that sounds great. Yeah. Let us all die. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's all happening, dude. What is happening is there is a shift of where people see their careers. I gave a lecture at UJ to third year, no, final year marketing students, honors marketing students. And I said, put up your hands if you want to go to an agency. And like 10 hands out of 100 kids went up. And I said, put up your hand if you want to go to corporate. The other 90 went up. And I asked the room, why do you want to go to corporate? And they were like, better hours, better pay. Don't get treated like shit in my first three years because I'm the young lackey. Um, and uh, I get to, you know, uh, grow through the corporate experience. And I said to them, why do you want to go to agency? They were like, breadth of knowledge, multiple brands, um, you know, the crazy agency laugh, the drinking, the partying, and, and the hard, ridiculous work, and at times being treated like you're a junior. And it was just surprising to see that agencies, well, the pool of talent – is not necessarily thinking that that sexy agency madman environment is where it's still at. Mm. They're going like, I'd rather go and work at Investec. I'd rather go and work at MTN or Vodacom in the marketing department than go to agency. I suppose that's why winning awards is so important. Yeah. You know, because it obviously it says, well, we have a great company. Come work for us. Dot com. <laughs> Dot com. Do you, do, have you done any interviews? Have you spoken to anyone that says, we hate awards. We don't enter them. We uh, don't want to. We don't want to uh, be that. You know, not on this show. Sell out. But I did work for a company once that had that policy. It's not about the awards. Well, no, they fundamentally don't enter awards. Well, then the question is. So another question that we ask, I think, in agency is: Are you doing the work for the work on the client? Are you doing the work for an award? So do you want to do that pro bono campaign because it's going to, you know, win you a lure and, and get you into cons or, or are you really <laughs> trying to just do phenomenal work that is what should be done regardless of whether it wins you a bookmark yeah. or a pandurung or, and so on and so forth, right? Is that a real thing? Pandurung? Yeah, I so. so. Really? Yeah, I think so. I oh my know. gosh. I just, every five minutes I'm like, there's this award and there's that award and, and then you have to work out, and then all, you have to you have to enter all of them. They cost money. Yeah, and, and then time. judges, judges who sit down on their panels. Yeah, um, I've been on those panels. They're fun. Me too. But they are cool. <laughs> they are, they're cool for us. We're like we get to judge if you yeah, live yeah, or yeah. die, and if you yeah. if you win a gold or a crappy bronze bird. Yeah, I'm actually gonna like 
go back on everything I just said in the show. Because <laughs> 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 when, when I was, because um, the great thing, because it's my show, I can. You can just edit this. <laughs> you can edit anything that didn't make sense. Or you yeah, 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 yeah. I'm actually not going like with this one. But um, no, when I was judging the Asa guys this last year, and I was talking about, you know, creative work and all that kind of stuff that does exist actually. But I was from all the work that I saw, there was better work coming from the smaller, nimble, agile independence, mm. digital, not yeah. not the you know, the other guys, but and the effective. Digi- you've dude. Not not just cool, because it's cool tech super effective. And there's effective tech. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So the guy who who does this crazy virtual reality thing that eight people used at a shopping center one Saturday morning doesn't 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 excite me, right? It's yeah. just it's cool. But effective, like something that actually delivers for me is like, and, and it's, and it's exciting and cutting edge and new. That is where it's at. Yes. Uh, and I don't know if many guys, and that's what I'm saying about the awards versus, versus good work. So the guys like, let's do a crazy VR headset that like, you know, gives you sensations in your feet and it'll be an experiential campaign that 10 people use. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, mate. Uh, thanks for the debate. That was really awesome. I haven't uh, had one like that in the show for a while. But um, but anyway, that's you my forced own, me into it. That's like, my <laughs> own fault. I went there. No, I got a message from Rich Mulholland the other day, and he, he gave me a bit of advice about my show. So I'm trying oh, just, it out. Oh, and I, am I the guinea pig? Yeah. Am I the guy? Am I the guy that you're like? Right. I'm going to lull you into a false sense of comfort, and then I'm just going to smash you with a really hard, controversial question. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that what just happened? Yeah, something oh, like fantastic. that. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's going to get lips talking. I'm sure. <laughs> you know, and if Alistair King hears this, he's definitely going to want to have a piece of me. I'm sure. Yeah. One of two things: he's going to phone me and go, "What the hell did you say? That is not our ethos at all." Or he'll be like, "Well done." Or he'll be like, "Give me that X phone number." Yeah, right yeah. Now. Yeah, give Fly him to Cape Town. Let's do this. Well, Let's it's an open this. invitation, so I'm happy to have Done. the discussion. But it's interesting sure. talking about tech and trends and agency and you know traditional versus future businesses, and that's the space that I specialize in and that I'm passionate about. So there's no right or wrong answer. It's more just having the debate because I do think that if we don't ask the right questions, we're never going to get the right answers. Yeah. And so you know that's that's where it's at. And I mean the same thing applies for entrepreneurship. You know, um, and anyone that wants to start a business, because I mean, those kids there in that room, what I would love for you to ask them was how many of you want to be an entrepreneur? And I get, I bet you one hand would have gone up just one, not two or more or any more than one. On an interesting anecdote, every time I give one of these lectures at that level, um, whether it's triple A or, you know, Vega or UJ or Vitz at least five kids come up to me after the lecture because I tell them, you know, I tell them a bit of a background of my story and the first thing they do is they go, I have an idea. I want to start my own business. I've started my own business. Can you, can you build my, and then they start, I mean, not, not saying that we're like, we're the biggest agency in the world, but the first thing they go, can you build my website or will you manage my Facebook page? And I kind of have to reframe to them that, you know, we, we, we play at a certain level, but I'm always very helpful in giving them the direction. But every lecture I do, five kids in that room, have got an idea or on the path to entrepreneurial behavior already, and they're, they're and they're, they're they're so proud of it. They're they're not scared. They're not worried. They're not they're not um, intimidated. They they walk up to you like they they literally own the world, and they're like, "Will you run my Facebook for me?" And you're like, "This is fantastic that you that you know you you have that level of of you know confidence." Yeah. Um, and it happens all the time. It's great. Yeah, it's really great. I'm really I'm really glad that you get that response. Because it's funny, like in the educational space, he was like talking to you about this. Uh, it was minus Britrick. And um, he was saying how it's it's such an injustice that entrepreneurship as a path isn't um, 
as well promoted by established educational institutions. Mm. It's almost like when you get to, like my wife said to me like yesterday or something, she said to me, oh, Matt, well, you know, the reason why you go to university is to unlearn everything you learned at school. Do you know what I mean? And even (laughs) then, it's like, but then you should just be an entrepreneur from the word go. I'm just saying like, I would like even my kid, like I was telling you about my island. Yeah. My island vision. Yeah. Dude, like to do that, I'm not waiting 21 years while my kid goes through traditional educational structures to unlearn everything. Do you know what I mean? Like what the fuck? He's going to be an entrepreneur. That's the only path. Only path for you. That's for for them. The whole world's going that way, you know? And so do you know what I mean? Like everything is changing. Everything is changing. 100%. I think that, well, I'm happy I found this path and I didn't stick to my, you know, my education. And, and I'm, I'm also happy I didn't spend nine years like becoming a doctor to realize that I wanted to do digital marketing. You'd <laughs> be a great been. doctor. <laughs> People would die every day, every <laughs> single minute, <laughs> if that was the case. <laughs> oh, awesome. Cool, man. Last part of the interview, uh, some rapid fire questions and then we'll wrap oh, up. Hectic. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Okay, me no prep. Go. If you could put the punk media journey onto a billboard, that's an oxymoron. Eh? <laughs> yeah, let's let's take my digital agency on a billboard. What, yeah. what, what yeah? would the billboard say? For a journey or just our value proposition? Like no, a, the journey, like the journey of punk. Sure. Uh, I think it would say start by doing everything, um, realize what you're good at, and just do that. Cool. Excellent. Uh, I guess that's, I don't know, if that's trying to make it a billboard, I guess. Yeah, I know. It's a digital billboard. Cause yeah, because the dad's going to say it would have to be a digital <laughs> billboard. You see, everything's changing. <laughs> um, okay, uh, if you were to give a 20-minute TED Talk, what would you talk about? Um, uh, it would be a very niche one, but it would be uh, where agencies are, are hiding margin. Really? Mm. Okay, cool. I would. I'd want to show all the different areas that I think agencies are, are making money that brands don't re- realize. Similar to the PNG talk, but my own flavor. Yeah, of course. Uh, what keeps you up at night? My five month old. But other than that, um, how to change the perception of an entire industry that, you know, big is better, number one. And then how to stop procurement being the decision makers. It's killing me. Shame. I mean, how, how companies decided that that's the decision. Let's get the very best work done by the lowest price. That obviously makes perfect sense. So of course. That, that, that keeps me up at night. Yeah. Um, when you hear the word successful, who do you think of and why? Sure. Um, there are a couple of people. So one is obviously uh, Alistair and James. Um successful i had a list i was like rattling off a list of people that i thought were successful like two days ago and now you've put me on the spot so alistair and james are up there for me um because the definition for me is is also being recognized by your peers so it's success for me is not the money it's not the it's the it's the the peer the peer kind of um esteem that you have so i could think of a few more but not right now for some reason no that's great I'll go with Alistair, and I like I like the definition. By the way, I feel like you should say something about like one of your family members. Hey, that's right. Yeah. Like parents, you don't have to though. My father, my mother. Family no, needs no, a just, pest. Cool. We'll just we'll just go with that for now then. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope no one listens to this and go like, "Excuse me, 
<laughs> you know? Excuse me. Yeah, <laughs> How could you not think of me when Just you when you got asked? Like, at digital country. Flipping <laughs> <laughs> hell. Yeah, it'll be okay. Um, what is one great injustice that you see in the world? Tax. 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 Tax being just misspent and misused kills me. You pay your tax and you still need all your private health care. It's a huge injustice. <laughs> that's I don't know why that's came to mind, but that, that is a thing. Okay. So I suppose that answers the punchable question, which was the next one for you. The, what? The, the punchable. Punch? Who would who, who, yeah, who would I punch? Would, so when I hear the word when you hear the word success. Oh, when you hear the word punchable. Yeah. Yeah. When I hear the word punchable, who do I think of? Yeah, the most, the most li- likely suspect. Tax auditors. Tax auditors. No, tax auditors are fun. It's it's SARS representatives. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. something like that. And last question for you: What's your why? Why why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed in the morning? <sighs> I, I I really did think about this question a lot, and I've watched the Simon Sinek talk, and I've watched it a couple of times. Um. And for me, it really, really, really comes down to security. And security for me at this stage, this stage of my life is money. Um, and security for my wife and my current child, um, hopefully another one at some point in the future, but security for my family um, in whatever form that looks like. So, And security right now is, is, is wealth and, and then health. Um, though that's my why. I've, I've tried to make it something more altruistic. I've really given it thought and it... it Really does. That's my driver. That's what gets me going. Have you found that it changes quite a lot in terms of your why? No. So like, no, so I, was I your why make a change? Was your why the same before the exit as it was afterwards, or did it change now that you've you know you've found your growth partner? No, it's 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 it stayed the same because of my stage of life. You know, I'm not uh, so uh, I'm not. I'm not 50, I'm not, but I'm also not 21, I'm not 18. So, but it is, my, my, my why hasn't changed. It's, and in the process, obviously, everything else as to, as to how I get to that goal of security is doing it in an ethical and honest way. That's, that's, that's my whole, my whole philosophy, right? So don't do anything that you wouldn't want to tell your parents. Um, but yes, my, my why hasn't changed. It hasn't changed since, for, in a very, very long time, since I started this business. That's a great insight. It really is. Ryan, thanks so much for your time, man. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you and having the debate. But, yeah, uh, I'm going to say it. This has been fantastic. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Cool. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Digital Kung Fu Show. It's been an absolute pleasure having you with us. If you'd like more information on Digital Kung Fu show notes listing on this particular episode or would like to access our growing community of entrepreneurs simply check out digitalkungfu.co.za and you can find us all over the social media graph until next time ever wanted to become a best-selling author well i'm in the influence business and i work with business owners and ceos and business leaders to help them scale their influence and we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author sought after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days my team and i have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300 percent faster and 50 percent less cost than anyone else in north america this system is incredibly efficient one of my clients 
clients. Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.